Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Place podcast, your podcast for strategies on the future of place and the evolving relationships between people, place, technology, and data. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the podcast. And at the Future of Place, we believe that place is the superior driver for our economy, an accelerator for sustainability, productivity, and inclusivity in our cities, communities, and towns. The work that we're doing is guided by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, what we refer to as the Global Goals. You can find out more about our work at the Future of Place if you head to our website, futureofplace.global. But for now, let's discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Place podcast. My name is Adam Beck. I am the host of the podcast, and my day job is Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council here in Australia and New Zealand. Today, we're going to talk about urban freight and micro freight, and joining me all the way from the US up in the Pacific Northwest is Anne Goodchild. She's Director at the University of Washington Supply Chain Transportation and Logistics Center. And thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to this one, Anne. I'm nerding out around urban freight at the moment. So keen to hear more about your great pilot project there. But before we do, let's start with who you are and what do you do? Yeah, thanks. I. So I've been a professor in civil and environmental engineering at the University of Washington for 15 years. And about five years ago, I started, I founded the uh, Supply Chain Transportation and Logistics Center at the University of Washington. It's really just the, the home, the nexus of uh, supply chain, transportation and logistics, education and research at the UW. And uh, also about that time, we started a particular initiative at the center uh, called the Urban Freight Lab. And that is a public private membership based work group uh, where we work collaboratively to solve urban freight challenges. And, and I, I say urban freight challenges, but we're really trying to make cities nicer. You know, they're great uh, and some of them are fantastic, but we're, we're trying to continue uh, to enable people to live in cities and, and improve quality of life in cities for, you know, with a focus on, on urban freight and getting them the goods and services that they need. Excellent. Can't wait to hear more. While we have our listeners' attention, I suppose a quick advertisement, there is more information available if you jump into a browser and look up seattleneighborhoodhub.com. And is that the best place for our listeners to go to? Yeah, that's a site that's got comprehensive information about the Neighborhood Delivery Hub. Excellent. Okay, Anne, let's do this. Four questions, 20 minutes. I'm going to start by giving you a moment to provide an opening statement. And usually this means that you share your high-level thoughts on where the world is at with this topic. Of course, we're still in and coming out of and going back into COVID. So certainly in this area, it's been a lot of evolution over the last two years. But over to you for an opening around the topic. And what would you like to share with us? And we started the Urban Freight Lab because there were some really pressing sort of contemporary challenges to getting goods and services to people in cities. And we really, you know, had 
kind of a focus on congestion, on the intense competition for space. And that led us to engage with with the companies who do that work, right? The people who own the buildings, the people who drive the vehicles, the people who develop technology. And uh, we realized that, you know, if we wanted to collectively kind of make progress with those problems, we really all needed to work together. And there wasn't, you know, a framework for doing that. There wasn't a, another group that brought that community together in a constructive way. So we started the Urban Freight Lab and we, have, you know, over, over time, clearly, you know, COVID has presented us with new challenges and a not entirely different, but I think, you know, somewhat different emphases on, on what the problems are that, that we're trying to solve. And also I think the climate emergency has become, you know, something that's been more present in our partners' minds, in our, all of our minds and trying to understand, you know, how we can get goods and services to people, but do that in sort of the least impactful, uh, less CO2 intensive way. And so, you know, we, we started this group because, you know, we needed a way to, to work together to solve problems. And that has, we pick the most urgent, you know, issue of the time, but certainly over the last two years, that's really been, you know, CO2 emissions and meeting the challenges of the COVID pandemic. We need solutions, you know, however, that are are sustainable from a business standpoint that allow you know businesses to do that work and to cover their costs but we also need solutions that are that are appealing to communities and to neighborhoods because you know ultimately all of this is in the service of those neighborhoods and those communities and they really you know should have a say in what solutions look like and so the Seattle neighborhood hub was an idea that we came to collectively as something that we think provides you know assets to neighborhoods accessibility to goods uh, provides an opportunity to reduce co2 emissions and sort of vehicle intensity in those neighborhoods but also can provide a cost effective and operationally efficient way for businesses to do their work. I think it, it, you know, we have, and I can tell you more about this sort of specific project that we ran in Seattle, but I also think it's, you know, we're not recommending that's that it every instance look exactly like that. I think this model is also sort of adaptable to neighborhoods depending on their unique challenges and priorities. So as, as the Urban Freight Lab, we've really enjoyed being part of testing uh, this as a, as a solution, as a way of meeting the contemporary, you know, climate and COVID challenges. And we had really good success with that project. It was very collaborative, got a lot of good results in terms of the impact on neighborhoods, and we're excited to uh, continue to work in that space. Excellent. I love it. I, I'll circle back around and we'll go deeper into the pilot. The second question, and I'd like to get your views on the state of play and when I say state of play the state of play of urban freight now you've touched on in your response there some of the challenges that your project is and your your lab is trying to sort of address but can you unpack a little bit about this existing state of play on last mile freight and what you're what you're seeing yeah so I think, you know, cities, and if, we, if we're sort of looking back across a few decades, you know, have, have really, their transportation focus has for a very long time, well, maybe, you know, since World War II, uh, really been focused on commute patterns and passenger travel. And, 
you know, I, I, I don't say that as a, as a judgment, but just as reflects the, the focus of the work has really been on how do we, you know, reduce peak hour congestion? How do we reduce uh, the number of vehicles commuting? And that's, you know, congestion relief has really been taken most of the, the effort and sort of uh, dictated, I think, the, the structure and design of kind of the a city scale DOT activity. And there hasn't been much focus on freight transport at the city planning level. And, you know, that was partly very logical. And in cities where maybe there was a port or a particular concentration of manufacturing activity, there might have been some, you know, some specific organizations or some personnel that sort of worked with those communities. But urban freight, this kind of freight that comes into our communities and into neighborhoods, and it really isn't separable from where people live, has not been a priority for city transport planners. And it's reflected in the skills, you know, and capabilities and, and organizational structures of those, you know, what we call here uh, departments of transportation or DOTs. And so when we, we started seeing this big shift to online shopping, even before COVID, I think cities really felt like we as individual residents of cities, but also people at the DOT and, and maybe other po political in, people in political positions really felt like this was just sort of happening to us. Like, oh my gosh, these trucks are, you know, overrunning our city, mm -hmm. uh, even though, right, like we were creating this demand, we as, as online consumers. And, you know, I just think that's because we weren't prepared and we, and we weren't knowledgeable and, you know, as the, the collective, you know, city planning community, and I, you know, include myself in that, not just the people in those positions for cities, but people engaged in planning, really, you know, really we don't have the data frameworks. We don't have the organizational structures. We don't have the capabilities and resources uh, dedicated to this at the planning level. And so, yeah, it started. It was almost a little bit of, of a panic, I think, for people. You know, gosh, these things are changing, and, and we're not ready for them. And I don't like what's happening in my neighborhood. But you know, we all recognize that sort of online shopping was a thing that was here and, and wasn't going away. So. Part of what we've done is provide some of, as the urban freight lab is provide some of that capability for, for cities, for the for city of Seattle and the city of Bellevue, because, you know, it, it has been something that they've, that they don't have, and, and that's changing. And so cities are becoming more engaged uh, in urban freight. I think we're, you know, beginning to develop policies and programs, but it's really quite young and there's a breadth of challenges. You know, what do we spend money collecting data as cities about goods movement? Do we have policies and programs to manage what vehicles go where? Do we have, you know, a vision for what our goal is in terms of urban, you know, freight moving around our cities? And do we have ways of implementing programs that are going to create that reality? Those are things that you know, we are working on now and in some places are in, in their very early stages. So, and question three, you've set the table lovely now in terms of the big picture and the aspirations, the goals, responding to the challenges. Take us deeper now into the pilot. Can you ground us a little bit in the neighbourhood where it is? I know Seattle a little bit, but, you know, is it urban? Is it suburban? You had a lot of partners involved. Can you talk to us about the opportunity now through your pilot project, what happened, where it's at. And this, this happened because, you know, I can't say this like strongly or clearly enough. This happened because our partners were motivated to do this, not because 
either, you know, any, the city itself or the urban freight lab, you know, wanted it to. But so there is motivation, you know, I think in, in the industry, in a, in a range of, of sectors to test and develop new solutions, which is fantastic, right? And, and we, I believe we, we have to have that in order to really see creative, innovative solutions, you know, that are going to work, be put in place. But the Seattle Neighborhood Hub, uh, Neighborhood Delivery Hub is in an area, I thought it was Belltown, but people have often also referred to it as Uptown, which is kind of on the very close fringe of our central business district. Uh, So it has a lot of residential development, but also sort of mixed use. So you know, first floor restaurants and retail, but you know, maybe their average sort of 10 to 12 story buildings with, you know, apartments up to condos, quite a lot of new development. So it's quite a busy, you know, walkable, quite dense part of the city. You know, most of the, there's a lot of employment sort of in, in neighboring areas, um, but then some employment as well in the neighborhood itself. So, uh, you know, quite an attractive area in turn, you know, quite a lot of uh, uptake of online shopping and delivery services are you know, relatively young population of people who are eager to do that and, and comfortable using those kinds of online services. And, and those were characteristics that we looked for with our partners, that there was going to be you know, relatively high demand for delivery services, relatively dense residential development. And one of our partners, Reef, has an extensive you know, inventory of, of parking uh, facilities in North America. So they provided the space where we could load the cargo bike and also load with it. We have a locker there that's available for, for anyone in the neighborhood to do package pickup. So they provided that space, off-street space to do you know, loading and unloading, and then also loading our, our cargo bike live there at that parking facility. Um, and so it could be loaded and then reloaded during the day and also, you know, be charged overnight and day in a secure location on the facility. There was also a, a ghost kitchen. So it's kind of, you know, if you're familiar with a food truck, it's a little bit like that, but it is uh, largely they're cooking for online orders as opposed to walk-up orders. And then essentially bringing the kitchen a lot closer to the orders. So able to reduce the distance traveled, you know, by the food and and therefore CO2 production by serving closer to where the the customers are based. So we also, our other partners uh, were Coaster Cycle, who actually manufactures the the bike that we were using. It's an electric assist cargo trike. Also uh, Bright Drop, which is GM's uh, last mile electrification suite of products. And we were testing their EP1, it's electronic pallet. So it's electric assist pallet, has a motor um, that can give it a little bit of additional energy. And then it has, you know, smart sensors on it so that you know when things have been loaded and unloaded and where it is at all times. Uh, also, Axel Hire, who is the carrier, so provided uh, the driver and the software and routing uh, tools that we used uh, for those services. And can you share what some of the outcomes and data that was gathered, what did the pilot tell you? What are the outcomes? What did you learn? Yeah. So one of our other partners is the Star Lab. So they provided us with some on-site sensors, uh, video-based sensors, but with a lot of, you know, sophisticated image recognition software. So we have video cameras up essentially, you know, that's sort of immediately interpreted into 
uh, counts of vehicles and pedestrians and bikes and their dwell time. So all the sort of operational statistics we want from the actual hub itself. So who's coming and going and when and how long they stay. And then we also have GPS uh, sensors on both the bike and also the, the driver with his phone. And so we can see how long the bike takes and where it goes. And we can even separate the bike from the driver as he walks the last you know, segment into the building. And then our partner Axel Hire also uh, provided us with data for traditional internal combustion engine delivery of those products so we could you know compare what would have been to to what we did with the bike and yeah our you know we were really focused on these sort of city viewpoint uh, operational statistics so vehicle miles traveled or you might say vehicle kilometers traveled dwell time so sort of how long does it take to make a delivery and co2 emissions so what we found uh, was that we basically cut in half the vehicle miles performed by an ICE, an internal combustion engine vehicle. So a vehicle, an internal combustion engine still comes and, you know, sir, feeds the hub uh, and, you know, brings in the cargo that's going to go on the bike. And so we look upstream up to where that came from so that we're making a fair comparison. But when we look at that whole, you know, from the upstream warehouse to the customer, we're able to cut in half the vehicle miles traveled, which is, you know, a great benefit for sort of neighborhoods and for traffic if this was uh, operating at, you know, a, a broader scale. Uh, in terms of CO2 emissions, we reduce CO2 emissions by 30%. So, you know, that's amazing, right? Absolutely. Uh, through people are still getting what they want, but we can we can reduce by 30% the CO2 emissions for that for those deliveries. And then in terms of the time, we found that they were equivalent. So it took about the same amount of time using the bike as it would have using the ICE vehicle. Um, and that one, I feel like it's a little bit of an unfair comparison because we were comparing this pilot, this very new thing to, you know, essentially a sort of well-oiled machine uh, of a delivery system that's been functioning for some time. So, you know, our sense is that probably quite the opportunity to reduce time is actually uh, another opportunity with the bike. Um, but in our own work, we actually found that they were equivalent, which, which is, you know, it, that's fine. Um, it means that, you know, we're not spending more time making deliveries with the bike and that what we found was that it was uh, relatively equivalent. The other thing we found, so one of our questions was, you know, well, okay, the bike is small, you know, how, how many bikes does it take to replace, you know, one ICE vehicle? And we, and, you know, I suppose my instinct was that that was going to be more than one. Um, mm -hmm. But actually what we found was one for one, you can, you know, take a, an ICE vehicle off the road and replace it with one bike. So, you know, you don't, maybe some people have this image that if we did this at scale, you know, the city would just be overrun with bikes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, uh, it's, there's a lot of, of operational efficiency uh, with the bike, with parking, with maneuverability, with the size of that, that ha you know, pays off when you're operating in a dense urban environment. So yeah, you know, and you know, I don't think any of those results were really surprising, but we didn't have any empirical evidence of them. And it's not enough, you know, to say, we think it's gonna do this. You know, we really wanted to, to measure that, to see that in practice where, 
things are, you know, sometimes messy in the real world and there's, um, you know, a truck parked in the bike lane or there's a delivery that's hard to make because you can't get in the front door. So, you know, even with that sort of messy real world stuff, we were pretty, we think the results are very promising and that there's, if we can get to the point of, you know, broader implementation, broader use of electric, you know, small electric modes that, that we can do a lot to reduce the impact of urban freight on our planet. Well, well, that leads me to the final question, Anne. Where is the pilot at and what's next? What are you excited about most? Yeah, so the pilot in Seattle is done and same group is uh, planning pilots in in other locations, specifically uh, in New York. So we want to get, you know, more, just more uh, learnings, more lessons, different environments, um, you know, collect more data that we can compare to Seattle, just, you know, building the case and growing and refining the model. So, you know, overwhelmingly there was, was a sense of success and really, you know, value in doing the pilot in Seattle. And so moving on to, I suppose, more pilots, that's the one we've got planned at the moment in New York. I, you know, I think for me, it's as, you know, increased, it's not my job, you know, to like evangelize certain solutions because I'm a, I'm a researcher and it's my job to look for ideas and to test them and to evaluate, you know, the results. And what I've seen here is I think very optimistic for all of us, because I, I think there are some, some models of operation that are available now or could be implemented I mean, we were using tools that, that are here now, right? So, I, you know, with the right sort of catalysts, we can do much better very quickly. And, you know, I want to see us do that. So, I, you know, I'm very optimistic about other implementations of, you know, of cargo bikes. There's a range of bike types, right? And, you know, there's a lot of work going on in that field, trying to figure out, you know, what is the right sort of bike design, what are, or, or designs, I should say, because I think there's, there's many depending on the environment. There's other, you know, small electric vehicles we could be using and, you know, we should be using just to, to really drive down CO2 emissions and to drive down sort of the cost of all of this activity on, on our neighborhoods. The one thing I am recommitted to or committed to is, is really trying to listen to neighborhoods. So, I feel like a lot of this, you know, we've, we've got cities with, you know, the city of Seattle has quite, has, has climate goals that, that we're trying to meet, as do many other cities and countries or states. So, you know, we're, we're committed to doing that. And this sort of is a motivation on behalf of, of the city itself, you know, to manage kind of traffic congestion and emissions. There's the partners who have technologies or new products that they want to test and uh, want to be competitive, want to be good stewards of their resources. But I also want to make sure that that communities are driving this conversation. I want to make sure that we want what is being built in our communities and that neighborhoods and residents are really, honestly, I think they should be leading that conversation because, you know, all of this, you know, back to what I said before, is really in service of the people who live there. And if, and if in the end we create something that they don't like having in their neighborhood, then we've failed. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of diversity in those neighborhoods. I want to make sure we hear from them and that they feel like if there is a micro hub built in their neighborhood, that it's an asset and it's something that they're excited about using. So, can that hub have some park space? Can it have some neighborhood meeting space? Can it have, you know, complementary facilities to 
a cargo bike hub or a common locker. And I, I want to make sure that that they're included in those conversations about sort of the space and, and how it's used. And I don't think we've been doing a great job at that so far. So that's something I, I want to make sure to focus on in the next year. Well, Anne, there's no better way to learn than by doing. And mm-hmm. I think uh, many of our listeners who are listening in would support my comments in really congratulating you on on this innovative research and very much looking forward to tracking New York and beyond in terms of your future work. But for now, we'll draw it to a close. Uh, I feel that I could sit on a lounge, hot coffee and, <laughs> ch- and, and chat with you for hours. So we might have to roll that over for another time. But for, the, for, for now, Anne, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it really was a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. And for our listeners, that was Anne Goodchild, Director at the University of Washington's Supply Chain Transportation and Logistics Center up in the Pacific Northwest of the US. For our listeners who aren't subscribing to the Future of Place podcast, you can do so. Head to your favorite podcast platform. You'll find us there, Future of Place. But for now, thanks so much for joining us. Stay well. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Thank you.